Well, last week I preached as well, um, which was a great, great experience for me. I hope it was okay for people who are listening. Um, and it, it was like one of those experiences where uh, it wasn't like fun per se, it was like really fulfilling. And I mean, the topic, basically we're talking about suffering, right? We're talking about storms and how we get caught up in storms of life. And sometimes they come because we kind of went looking for them or we are putting ourselves in a place where storms are going to hit, like of a client who lives in Louisiana. Like, if you live there, you're going you're gonna to experience some pretty big storms. Like, um, but there are also storms that kind of come and hit you when they have no business being there in the first place. You know, like you're safely on land and then this crazy flash flood comes and hits and, and wipes you off the map. And last week, we started exploring a passage of Scripture uh, Second Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 4. Um, it's verses 7 to 18. And so we started a conversation last week, and we're going to continue it through to this week. Um, I'm going to take a minute to pray, and I just want to recognize and really invite all of us together to, um, to expect that God is here. You know, you might feel like you have small little storms in your life. You might feel like you have really huge storms going on in your life. You might look at the storms that you have and look at the storms that someone else has and think, man, compared to what they're going through, I'm not going through much at all. And that may or may not be true, but at the end of the day, all of us have things that we're struggling with. And what I'm really excited about is that our Father God, He has He has a special plan and a, and a special, um, I don't want to say escape route, but um, a special circumstance-proofing kind of opportunity to speak to your heart and to give you um, just a never-ending source, an inner source of peace and contentment um, and joy. And so we're going to kind of get into that a bit more today. But Father, you are good. And we say that knowing full well that sometimes it sure doesn't feel like it and sometimes it sure doesn't look like it. Um, Thank you, though, that you never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always with us in every moment. Um, and thank you that you're here now with us. And we just, just, and I, I thank you that you and I, Father, are up here, are going to be sharing intimacy together. And but that you're also with everybody who's listening to this. And um, I pray that this would be a, a special time for everyone, and that things that they hear would would just the right thing would would resonate with them, and um, that. Thank you that your, spirit, your spirit's already at work in all of us and that we can have expectation because of that. Amen. So the, the, the title for the series, yes, last week and this one is, is So We Don't Lose Heart in Suffering. And the subtitle, I don't know why I feel like it's important to do subtitles, but I do. Uh, a conversation about finding new strength amidst the struggle. And to really get started on this, I want to take you guys back um, almost exactly five years ago. And so it's uh, in the fall of 2014. If you can imagine, it's like, you know, an early morning. It's probably like a Thursday or Friday morning, about 7.30. And I stood alone in the kitchen. And I was feeling tense. And I was feeling super confused. I was feeling frustrated. There was like this ongoing, churning sense of anxiety and this churning sense of dread. And I stood in front of the fridge and I opened it, and it's like one of those things where it's like refreshing your bank account. I don't know if anyone ever does that. It's like to see if it changes for some reason. 
I opened the fridge, really hoping something miraculous would have happened, but nothing. The fridge was literally empty. Well, there may have been like a little bit of butter and like a little bit of like ranch dressing or something like that, but like it was, there was no food. Um, and I couldn't like zip out to the grocery store because there was no gas in our van. And I couldn't even order something because there was no money. And I think that when I think about, if someone asked me what the lowest point in my life is, I would say it was that moment, that moment right there. Um, we didn't have zero food, we had rice. <laughs> so I remember making rice at 7.30 in the morning and my wife was having a shower, my kids were reading or playing or coloring on the wall or I don't know, something that kids do in the mornings. <laughs> um, and I made rice and I was like, they're gonna hate this. And to their credit, they didn't like hate it, but they didn't eat all of it. And I just watched their confused faces, like, we having rice for breakfast? I was like, I can't remember what I said. It's probably something like, enjoy it, like, or like, uh, I don't know. But it was a rough time. Um, I felt this sense of panic running around in circles inside of me. And I felt like a failure, a harsh failure in every way that mattered to me. I had failed to provide for my family. I had um, failed to get the right amount of business that I needed. Um, I'd failed God. I felt like God had led me into this business direction and I'd screwed it up because obviously we had, you know, I felt it kind of come to the end of myself. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this really, really awesome quote. It says, you know, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. And on that cold fall morning, I found myself in more mental anguish than I'd ever experienced before. What kind of man am I? Why wasn't anything working? Why did I ever quit my job in the first place? Who was I kidding? What was I gonna do next? Where would I go for help? What would people say? Why were things so tough when I was sure God had led me into this? Was God sending me a message that I was too blind or too dumb to see, to recognize? What was he saying? Um, Brendan Manning, he was a, a, a priest. He passed away a few years ago, but he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He's also written a bunch of other books. Um, he wrote Suffering. Failure, loneliness, sorrow, discouragement, and death will be part of your journey. It's just the fact of life, of living in a, in a broken, sin-tainted world. Um, those things will be part of your journey, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God will conquer all of these horrors. That morning was very cold and very lonely, and if someone had asked me in that moment if I believed what Brendan Manning said, I would have said, yes, I do. Um, but it wouldn't help me very much at the time, because I had a totally warped idea of what the word conquer. I didn't know what conquering meant. And to be honest, I'm still kind of growing out of that um, of the idea, you know, which is that you know, my safety and my security, my, my place of being okay, you know, is reflected in my circumstances. Conquering meant filling my fridge, paying my bills, meant money in the bank, and that accompanying satisfied feeling that you have, or that I have. <laughs> that day, 
Um, I didn't recognize at the time, but I could see that Father was beginning to show me things that he'd been at work in my heart for a long time. And it was like a special plan. And he began to show me that regardless of the intensity of my afflictions, you know, regardless of the weight of the pressure that I'm going to undergoing or the pain of my persecution or how deep the rejection that I'm going through is, there is safety and there is security for me. C.S. Lewis, again, a great quote uh, from his book called The Problem of Pain. The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. But joy, pleasure, and merriment he has scattered broadcast. We're never safe, but we have plenty of fun and some ecstasy, and it's not hard to see why. The security that we crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and would create an obstacle to our return to God. A few moments of happy love, a stirring landscape, a gorgeous symphony, a merry meeting with friends, a refreshing street swim, or a rousing street hockey game. I did that one. They have no such tendency. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. My idea of like conquering life, it, was, it looked like obstacle, and I punch it out, and I win. You know, like that's what a conquering life meant. And so I look at my life, like there's obstacles everywhere and I feel like I'm bleeding on the mat. Like that's not conquering. That's like from my perspective, the way that I've kind of grown up. But what C.S. Lewis is saying here and what a father's been affirming to me, what we're going to see as we unpack scripture as well is that this earth isn't like, this isn't where we live. You know, we're on a journey. We're heading home. God has a home. Like, we all desire deep security and deep safety. We all desire a place to belong, a place of our own. And we're going to get it in a way that just defies our imagination. But we're not there yet because this isn't it. This isn't it. The trials and the struggles and the storms and the afflictions of life are unavoidable. And as we're going to remind one another today, our loving Father promises He's not going to waste a single moment of our difficulties and our pain. And as we embrace him in the midst of it all, he's at work in us and he's at work through us. So the focus um, verses for today are 2 Corinthians 4. And we're going to look specifically at um, uh, verses 16 uh, to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, the very first word of this section is therefore, and at the risk of sounding cliche and kind of cheesy, um, the word therefore, you always got to ask, what's it there for, you know? So you got to kind of look at the, the section previous to that, the scripture previous to that. And we, we covered all a lot of that last week. I'm going to blitz through really quick because it's really, really good. But um, so starting back, we're going to back up to verse seven. And that's where we say, uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So the surpassing greatness of the power of God, or so power will be of God and not from ourselves. There's a few key ideas there. You know, that treasure that we carry inside of us, that's Christ. That's Christ's life. 
you know, we're earthen vessels. That's us. Like, earthen vessels, it's like, you know, at the time Paul was writing this, that was like just pottery. You know, think about Tupperware. We're Tupperware. Um, and what we have inside of us is an incredible, beautiful treasure. And the goal of the treasure inside of us is that the combination of Christ's life through us is something that gives surpassing, amazing, incredible proof of God's great glory. And so one of the ways that I, that I think Father's been kind of like talking me through this is, you know, the, the, the treasure of Christ. It's like this incredibly beautiful diamond set around a whole bunch of other smaller diamonds on like a beautiful chain or like a beautiful uh, crown or something. And then you think about, you know, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, is that the right? I think that's the right. And he's like, he's carrying the pillow, right? And then there's the crown on top of it. It's like, we're that velvet pillow, right? It's like, the point is, is like, is that we are the space that God's glory is revealed in the world. Moving on to verse eight and nine. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And what that's saying to us is that you know, being a believer doesn't mean we suddenly have like this invisible force field around our life where nothing unpleasant or smelly or uncomfortable is ever going to hit us. It's like, no, we live in a sin-soaked world. Like, cancer's around. Divorce happens. Like, relationships break down. People betray you. Um, financial collapse happens. You know, you, you find yourself at the end of your rope and then you realize that something else happens. Suddenly it's like, oh, I thought it was at the end of my rope, but I'm actually further down the rope than I thought I could possibly go. We aren't protected from life. Suffering, as much as it sucks to say it, it's part of the human experience. However, despite all of that, we don't have to be crushed. We don't have to despair. We don't have to, we're never abandoned. We're not destroyed. But the key here is that it's not automatic. That God is giving us uh, a way out of the overwhelming pressure. And he's giving us a place of security and comfort in the midst of our persecution. But it's not automatic. Um, there's something that we need to do. And that's it's like a... Uh, it sounds like a bad thing to say in like a grace community, like there's something we need to do. But the reality is, is found in the next verse, in verse 10. We are always caring about in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So what is the dying of Jesus? That's a key phrase. What does that mean? Does that mean that we ought to go somehow find our way to get ourselves crucified and, and die like Jesus did? It's like, well, obviously not. That's, that's very silly. Um, but think about what Jesus was like on the cross. Was he vulnerable? Was he weak? Was he rejected? You know, was he alone? Was he in pain? Yeah, he was. And all of us in our lives are, are going to find ourselves in a place where our experience, Christ can identify with that because he went there. And we can identify with him because we're there. And so when it talks about the dying of Jesus, it means like what I'm experiencing is something that Christ has experienced as well. A loss of power, significance, physical weakness, rejection, obscurity. You know, we need to come, we find ourselves in a, in a place where we have a choice to either be willing 
to lose everything we've built and trust God to bring it back and to make it significant, or we can keep fighting and tighten our grip. And that's what we have to do. Rather than tighten our grip on control, rather than continue to try to fight against things that we have no control over, rather than thrashing, we need to say, Father, if this is what you have for me, you know, your will be done. And like we pray like Jesus prayed. Remember, like he prayed in Gethsemane? Like, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. And I think that's a prayer that all of us need to remember to pray when we're in the midst at the bottom of the barrel. Like, God, if there's any way that this can jump over me, or if there's any way I can get out of this, please, please let me get out of this. But not my will, but your will be done. And that's the key here, is that in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the, the garbage that you're going through, it's, uh, again, submission is a heavy word. It's not a fun word to think about, but it's saying, Father, if this is what you have, I'll follow you into it. I'll follow you into it. Are you willing to consent to that? Are you willing to give back to God your personal rights, trusting him to use the circumstances however he will? The next half of the verse talks about the life of Jesus being manifested in us. As we consent to the direction Father has for us, that's when the life of Jesus becomes, to, becomes manifest in us. So what's the life of Jesus look like? Does that mean that we're going to start doing huge miracles and we're going to you know, have crowds of people following us and we're going to be influential and charismatic and all those things? Well, I'd say probably 99% chance no. Not that there, there's not. Jim is. He's all those things already. Uh, but it's what it, what it shows us is that is like, regardless of what's going on, Father's revealing himself to us um, as our peace in the midst of a massive storm. You know, he's revealing himself to us as comfort in the midst of rejection. He's revealing himself to us as a source of strength that really doesn't make sense given the circumstances and given your personal history. That's the life of Jesus. Father's work is always loving and it's usually quiet. He often transforms us through our suffering without flash or demonstration. Now, verse 11, the next verse says, we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, verse 11 is tough because if verse 10 talks about choosing to consent and choosing to give your rights, verse 11 talks about we are being delivered into death. And if you are being delivered, that means something else or someone else or circumstances are forcibly moving you from one spot to another and you've got no choice over the matter. And that happens too. Like that's another kind of suffering that also takes place where we are completely out of control. It doesn't matter how hard we work. No one recognizes us. It doesn't matter how much I try. I'm, failure continues to hit. It, it, things outside of our control, bigger than me, are at work. You are where God wants you to be. And he is at work. You know, regardless of how you feel, if you're following Jesus, you're walking in triumph. Christ is being manifested, displayed, and proved beyond doubt, showing plainly through us. And that 
is evidenced in verses 12 and 13. Death works in us, but life in you. Having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we also speak. The key phrases in there, death is at work, and but life is also at work in you. What that's reminding us is that while all the difficulties going on, there are people that are following you. There are people who are watching you. There are people who are observing you. And some of them might be the people that are actually causing your pain and the source of your suffering. And what this is promising us is that as we consent, as we give God our rights, and as we say, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done, as we say that, Father promises that he's at work in us, and he also promises that he's at work in other people. So that's what it means, like, death is at work in me, but life is at work in you. There's stuff going on in other people's lives that you don't know about, and God is using you and what you're going through, and he's redeeming that in the lives of other people as well. This is bedrock. We cannot lose sight of this. Giving up our rights, sharing in the dying of Jesus, it's very costly, but it's bedrock. It's so important. Next verse. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. We are placing our confidence and our trust in our Father. He raised Jesus and we're banking on him raising us. It feels like a gamble. I have like on a whiteboard in my office, it says, you know, this whole thing is a big gamble on Jesus. And I'm sure that once I get to on the other side, once I'm in heaven, once I can look at the world and my life and my history without flesh and without, without sin, without my old programming, I'll see, it was never a gamble. It was never a gamble. But right now it feels like it. And it's okay for me. <laughs> I'm just remembering, um, this is probably, was it this year or last year? I remember going and uh, having lunch at my in-laws. And my in-laws are wonderful and I love them to death. I'm always insecure, just a little bit around them. And I remember going to sit down with their plastic chairs and it shattered underneath me. And I, I, carry, I, I, I carry some insecurities around my body and I kind of get a look, you know. And so I, I will try to avoid situations where, you know, my size is, you know, on display. But there was literally nothing I could do about that. And that happened. And then I was like, you can be very careful. Sure, I was extremely careful about every chair I sat on for the rest of the day, right? It's like... It's kind of like that. Like you get burned and then you carry that burn into every other experience, right? And so I look back on my life and I see difficult things I've gone through and I look where I'm at and like there's difficult things and it's like, it feels like a gamble. It might not hold me. I don't know. But like, but I've, like it's this whole, it's not. And I'm saying that to myself. I know we hear preachers say, I'm preaching to myself today too, guys. But I actually am. <laughs> so it's a big gamble on Christ. But it's actually, it's actually not a gamble on Christ. And, and that will be proven to us. Um, our costly service is one of trust. And that's where the gamble comes in. You know, Brennan Manning, again, he said, the dominant characteristic of an authentic spiritual life is gratitude that flows from trust. Not only for all the gifts that I receive from God, but gratitude for all the suffering. Because in that purifying experience, suffering has often been overlooked as the shortest path to intimacy with God. Now, if I had a chance to go back to myself five years ago, if there is something I could do to somehow like fill that fridge in a miraculous way, if there's somehow something I could do to fix it, like would I do that? I don't know if I, I don't know if I would. 
to be honest. I mean, five years is a long time. Like a lot can happen. It's amazing how much, like when you're going through something, all you see is right there. But if you think five years in the future, a lot of the issues I have today aren't really gonna be a problem anymore. And as, over, as all consuming as my struggles were at the time, I look back and I was like, man, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I'd change it. Because there are things that God did in me that I know for sure the only way I would have heard it, the only way I would have heard it was through that. And that's one of the other things that I don't think I have this quote written out perfectly in here, but it's another thing that the C.S. Lewis talks about is how, you know, um, as we're going through, you know, positive experiences in life, you know, God can whisper to us through that. He can speak to us through that. But when we're going through pain, God can just shout. Because pain refuses to be ignored. Pain refuses to be ignored. And I'm not saying that God's hurting you. I'm not saying that at all. But it's like we are living in a painful world filled with pain, a world filled with suffering, and a world filled um, with, with sin. And we're the collateral damage. Our suffering is that collateral damage. And what I, the way that I've been looking at it, and I think Father's been kind of like speaking this to me as well, is that the, in my suffering, it's like there's a window of opportunity into my heart that God wants to take advantage of. He doesn't want to waste that at all. Verse 15, For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. I think that's kind of what I'm starting to experience. I mean, I, I think I'm thankful for what happened five years ago. I think. I'm like pretty sure I'm thankful for it. Um, all things for your sake. That's like the first kind of phrase there in that verse. All things refers to that costly service, that embracing the direction that Father has. You know, um, not my will, but your will be done. That's what the all things refers to. And it's choosing to give yourself no option but to know and trust Father's love. And what an incredible and powerful act of bravery and loyalty that is. And that's one of the things I think that I forget, and I'm pretty sure a lot of other people are like me in this, is that when we think about you know, saying, like, yes, Father, I'll follow you, it's kind of like, fine, fine. If that's where we're going, fine. I'm not happy about it, but fine. Like, that's how I feel. But God looks at that and he says, there's amazing honor in that. Like, if you follow him when it looks like you shouldn't, when everything in you is screaming, hold tighter, grip for control, man, there's a really special honor in that. And that's not forgotten. Like, God sees that. And there's a reward for that, an incredible reward. As you give up your right to earn your own dignity, and as you join Christ in his position of vulnerability in the cross, you'll discover a couple incredible things. First thing that you're going to see is that you'll watch as your sorrow and your deep hurt and you know, the heartache you're going through will be transformed into a gift of love for others. And there's no timeline on that. That might happen today, but it might be five years, it might be ten years from now. Secondly, it'll cause the giving of thanks. Your costly service will result in inner joy and a peace and strengthening in the midst of your trial. And when you look back on this time, you will not only you will not be able to help, but give thanks to God that the whole thing came about. 
Ray Steadman says, this is the kind of thanksgiving that glorifies God out of the midst of the pain, pressure, the heartache, and perplexing, there comes joy, strength, faith, and a love that makes clear that the power is not coming from us, but from God. And that is what impresses the world, the people around you. May God help us to live like that. So we come to our focus for today, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Why not? Well, we have a reason to hope. And that reason is bigger and it's more broad than our own experience of God. And as you and I look to the future, we can remember that we have a reason for hope. And Paul gives, kind of goes into three significant reasons why. The first one is in the, is the second part of verse 16. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Reason number one, despite the toll, the physical toll our world takes, our inner selves are refreshed. There's a friend and there's a mentor of mine, a guy named Frank Friedman, he's a pastor in, in, uh, in Baton Rouge. And he always likes to say, you know, he says, you know, we were created for Eden. You know, we were created for paradise. And I'm not sure if you looked around, but this isn't paradise. <laughs> this world isn't it. We weren't designed to live here. You know, I'm only 34, and sometimes I feel like I'm getting old. You know, like cuts and scratches don't heal as much as they used to. Um, my eyesight has always been crap, but I went to the doctor to check my... I have a hole in my retina. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> I didn't know it was there, but I have a hole in my retina. That's, that's ridiculous. I wasn't there a year ago. You know, I used to be able to drink coffee with impunity, and it wouldn't affect me. But now if I drink coffee after five, I'm not going to sleep till late. Um, now, I, granted, I'm like, I know I've got a longer road of aging ahead of me, but I still, I'm, I'm seeing in myself, um, I can throw a lot of people under the bus right now. I have friends who are almost 40, and that's like blowing my mind. I have friends who are more than 40. Like, I'm used to thinking of 40 as like way out there. But like, it's not, like, it's not far away. Yeah, these bodies that we have, Bill Gillum calls them earth suits in his book um, called Lifetime Guarantee. You know, the real, the real me, the real Josh, as my, you know, it's my spirit. And that, that real me is, it's the only part that is not touched and not influenced um, by sin. Like, our spirit, the real us, that's the only part of this world that's not tainted by sin. And regardless of how much or how little their, your earth suit is breaking down as, as time goes on, regardless of that, we have an inner source of life, an inner wellspring of contentment and peace and joy that is refreshed day after day after day. And that's one of the big reasons why we can have, have hope. The second thing... Um, is in verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. This is a tough one because um, if somebody asked me if the afflictions I was going through today, if I could think of two words to describe them, and I had 20 words I could use, like I, I could think of 20 words, I promise you light and momentary would not make the list. And Paul is writing, writing this to us. And 
if anyone else had said that, said that phrase, light, momentary light affliction, it's like, take a hike, dude. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're living a charmed existence, you know? Um, but what Paul's saying is there's a direct tie between the affliction we're going through and the weight of our glory uh, that we will receive. And this, this isn't an isolated thing. Like, this shows up in other places in Scripture as well. Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Like, they're not even worth comparing. It's like, imagine someone saying, okay, I want you to spend, like, write a, a, an essay describing, like, this little like, chunk of Play-Doh. It's probably brown because it's all the colors mixed together, and, and your kids are supposed to pick it up when they played with Play-Doh three days ago, but now it's hardened under the kitchen table. And someone's like, okay, take that and, like, compare it with, with this, this beautiful piece of jewelry or this beautiful piece of art. Like, compare them. It's like they're not even worth comparing. I have such a huge disconnect with this. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's amazing. But, like, there's a big disconnect between that and my own life and my own experience. I'm really honest with you. Um, this kind of goes back to that idea of, like, if anyone other than Paul was saying this, I'd have a real hard time with it. But um, I think it's in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says this. Um, he is responding to uh, people who are coming into the, into the church, the, the Corinthian church, and they're giving all these reasons why they're better than Paul. And Paul's basically saying, it's like, oh, okay, you want to play that game? Well, it's a pointless game, but I'm going to play it with you anyway. He says, I have done harder labor, I've been in more imprisonments, in worse beatings, and in frequent danger of death. Now think about what you're about to hear, okay? Imagine not someone you know, this actually happening to them. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. 39 lashes. Five times it's happened. If I got hit with a stick one time, like during my day, I promise you that's a sermon illustration for like five, five sermons. No question about it. <laughs> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And in that, he actually, was, he actually died. And then the believers prayed, and he rose back from, he, he was raised from the dead, and went back and preached to, to the people who killed him. Three times I was shipwrecked. Man, how much sermon fodder do you get from a shipwreck? Like, that's, this is, this is, I'm, I'm running out of time, but that's okay. I, I always like to joke with my friends. This is a terrible thing to tell people, but um, I, I, I want to have been punched in the face. Like, I've never been punched in the face. And I never, I don't want to be punched in the face. <laughs> There's too much excitement in the church here. There's way too much. It's like, I don't want to go through it, but I just want to have it have happened. I want it to be in the past so I can brag about it. Anyways, uh, I was a sheltered child. You have to forgive me. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea in danger from rivers and bandits. Like, he, like... There's like 10 verses of this stuff. Like this guy knew what he was talking about. Like, and he's saying momentary and light. Like those are the words he's using to describe his life struggles. He says like these aren't even worth comparing to what's coming down the pipes. And he says this momentary light affliction is producing for us. And that's, is producing. It's like that is a promise. Whatever you're going through, 
It is producing. It is at work. God is not wasting it. And that might not really feel like it helps right now, but it's still true. It absolutely is. The difficulty that we are going through is at work in us. And as we embrace Christ in the midst of our suffering, he's promising that. He talks about an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Again, that's kind of like a silly comparison. When I think with the weight of glory, the only thing I can really think of is like if someone gave me a huge bag of money, it's like it's heavy, but I don't even care. It's like there's so much money in this bag. It's not a great comparison, uh, not a great example, but it kind of gives you a clue about the quality of my mind and my intellect anyway. Um, The third reason we can have hope is the last verse we're going to talk about. While we look at the things, not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What does that mean? It means that our suffering has an expiration date. Even if you've been diagnosed with a lifelong condition, there's still an expiration date. Because as believers, what's true about us? Like, this is not the end. This, this earth is not our home. Like, we're going someplace that just defies imagination, you know? And let's say that you're hearing everything I'm talking about, and you're like, I am not going to submit. I'm going to claw for my rights. I'm going to hold on to that as tight as I can, and I, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. Even if that's what you decide, and the rest of your life is filled with frustration and anxiety, the moment we go into heaven, God makes everything right. It's like, even if you fail at trusting God, even if you fail in the great gamble of, is God going to be enough for me? Even if you fail that trust, he will still make it right. He will still make it right. And that gives me an enormous amount of peace um, because I don't think I'm going to get it right all the time. There's a really great, um, a really great book that I've started well I, what I've read so far is really great. It's called All Things New, and it's written by John Eldridge. And um, there's just a couple paragraphs, that, a great description of the book. It says, according to the Bible, heaven is not our eternal home. The new earth is our eternal home. As Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, the next chapter of our story begins with the renewal of all things, by which he means this earth that we love and all of its beauty, ourselves, the things that make for a rich life, Music, art, food, laughter, everything that we hold dear. Everything shall be renewed. It will be made new. More than anything else, how you envision your future shapes your current experience. If you knew that God was going to restore your life and everything that you love, if you believed that a great and glorious goodness was coming to you, not in some vague heaven, but right here on this earth, You would have a hope that would see you through anything, an anchor for your soul, an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. See, for me growing up, um, talking about heaven, I think back to being a small child and I was part of a church, probably like one to 200 people and a very close-knit community um, and there would be worship services that would go for like an hour. And, I mean, my kids last, like, 17 minutes tops before they're swimming under the chairs and I'm getting embarrassed. Like, that's, that's how things are. I'm trying to imagine a little Josh, a little me. And, oh, boy, I remember, like, 
the pastor saying, oh, this is so good. It's so amazing. Heaven is going to be one long worship service. And as a child, I'm like, oh, I don't think I can handle that. I'm supposed to want that, but I don't want that. But if I think about my life, and I think about the things that I've enjoyed about my life, and I think about my regrets, and I think about the things, you know, I used to, I used to wish our, that I could, you know, travel the world. There's so many things that I wish I could do that, frankly speaking, are probably not going to happen. It's like, it's like a, I feel like I lost an opportunity. And it's, a, it's like this weird regret that's not really a full regret, but it's like, it just kind of still, it's there. And I think like, if, if what John Eldridge is suggesting, I'm not saying it, this is 100% true because I haven't read the whole book yet, but like this idea that everything is going to be made new, everything is going to be redeemed. Like imagine your friendships with your closest friends and then take sin out of the picture. Take flesh out of the picture. Like temptation, there's no more temptation. No such thing as that. There's no death. There's no crying. Like imagine what that world is like and then it doesn't end. Like, I can go see the whales. Like, I can go, you know, backpack across Europe. I probably, maybe I still can do that someday. But, like, I can do all these. Okay, this is a really nerdy thing. I have this. I would love to do, like, a library tour. And, like, <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> this is my heart, guys. Like, I would love to travel the world and to go to, like, really big old libraries. And it's, like, see old books. And, like, boy, someone who's dead, like, wrote that. I mean, I can do that now. But... It's like, man, oh, there's so much that I wish I could do that I'll probably never be able to get to do. But the, what the suggestion here is that there is something coming that whatever your most incredible imagination, whatever you can concoct in your mind doesn't even come close. And, like, and that's what's coming for us. So even if your life, like your experiences do not improve, God's saying, I'm going to be enough for you. I promise Gamble on me and I will be enough for you. He's saying that. He's also saying, whatever you're going through, it's not wasted. Every single pain, every single tear, every, every like ounce of misery, nothing is wasted. And you might not see it now, but I promise you, someday you will. And it will result in incredible thanksgiving that just pours into joy. I, on one hand... As I'm hearing myself say these words, it's like, you know, does this help? Like, that Friday, or that morning, five years ago, it felt like there was this huge black cloud, this mist, and there's dark shapes moving around. I couldn't really see what was in there. I couldn't see the mist, but I just knew I didn't want to go there. And God walked me straight into it. It was like my fear. It was like this dark cloud of fear, and I didn't know what was behind it, and God walked me into it. And it was terrible. But I also wouldn't change it. And one thing that I've been just telling myself is that, you know, I'm glad I, I'm glad I went through that because I never have to go through that again. <laughs> and right now, it's like there's a new black wall of mist in front of me. And I'm not in it, but it's like right there. And I'm kind of like, oh, Lord, <laughs> are you asking me to walk in there? Because if you are, I don't know. I don't know. And thinking about all this stuff, like, it's great to say it when it's, you know, about other people's struggles. <laughs> but I'm like, well, I think God's about to lead me into a valley. That's what it feels like. And I'm definitely praying, Father, like, 
if you can let this cut path for me, that would be so good. But I have to say, you know, he's inviting me to trust me in the face of what's ahead. He's saying, will you continue to follow me forward with steps of faith? Will you allow yourself to be shaped and matured in the midst of the fire? Today I'm praying for each of you guys, and I'm praying for me, (laughs) that as Father is extending that invitation to me, and as he's extending that invitation um, to you, that we're going to exercise trust. And I'm praying that we'll all gamble on him being true to his word. Father, you're good. And it's easy to say that when there's no cost. But there's always cost. Or it feels like it anyway. God, just help me not to, in the face of suffering, in the face of difficulty, help me not to tighten my grip on my rights. I just give them to you. And whatever you have, I'll follow you there. And I really don't, there's a direction I really don't want you to go. But if that's where you're going, fine. (laughs) I'm gambling on you. We all are. Amen.